indwelling spirit of God. We observed as we were going through Romans chapter 8 that the spirit of God dwells in us. And if we don't have the spirit of God dwelling in us, then we don't belong to him. There have been a number of attempts to explain this away, if I may say it be so bold, by saying, well, the Spirit of God is an attitude that we're supposed to have um, that comes from God, or that the Spirit of God dwells in us through the agency of the Word. And I want to dwell on that a little bit as we get going down through the evening. Um, but I think before this evening is over, since we're starting in Romans 8, just as a reminder of where we've been, but I think as we go through these passages of Scripture, it'll become abundantly clear that it is the Spirit of God Himself who lives in us <clears throat> as His temple. Uh, and we had a class that Kyle taught recently about our being the temple of God, which would be quite impossible, wouldn't it, if the Spirit of God were not dwelling in us himself. Um, so, if this is true, then we should re-examine scriptures in a new light. In the light of knowing that the Spirit of God dwells in us, we're going to look really hard, and, and really, if you guys have noticed, this is what I've done in all my classes practically up to this point in time. I put scriptures up on the screen and just given us time to take a long, hard look at those scriptures and ask ourselves, what is this saying to us? What is the Spirit of God saying to us through these words? And we've come to some pretty fascinating conclusions, haven't we? Just by looking at scriptures that maybe we've read over or glossed over our whole lives without ever taking time to really take a hard look at them. Well, that's what we're going to do again tonight. And all the scriptures that I put up, the ones that you have on this handout, are all related to the Spirit of God dwelling in us. And um, I have intentionally left out a couple of kinds of verses, and I'll tell you what those are in just a minute. <clears throat> so we're going to re-examine the scriptures in this light, <clears throat> except scriptures that refer to a special dispensation to the apostles or the prophets, and except for scriptures that refer to miraculous manifestations of the Spirit. Sometimes that's kind of hard to tease out, so you all will have to tell me how I've done after we go through this series of slides. Do you agree with the conclusions that I've come to that these are actually talking about the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, just regular, everyday, run-of-the-mill Christians <clears throat> who don't have some special dispensation from the Spirit? Okay, so starting back at Romans chapter 8, these are the verses, the, the main verses that, that we looked at before when it came to the talking about the indwelling of the Spirit. So this continues on two slides, but here's the first one. <clears throat> Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, in, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. <clears throat> but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And you will notice the, the interchanging of Christ and the Spirit of, of the Spirit of God. 
Those two terms are used interchangeably in these verses, as they are in many verses in the scripture where it talks about the Father sometimes and the Son and or the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Okay? So the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And he elaborates on this a little bit further down in the chapter, that the Spirit is life. The, what he goes on to say is that we, even though we're dead, we become animated by the Spirit of God that is in us. So we become alive in Christ. So, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, here it is, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Now, I thought my mortal body was already alive. What's he talking about? Well, our mortal bodies can be spiritually dead, can't they? And if spiritually dead, they can be reanimated, they can be resurrected by the entrance of the Spirit of God into us. What does Acts chapter 2.38 say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes into us? New life in Christ. Baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. Most importantly here, the Spirit is resurrecting us when it comes into us. Okay. <clears throat> so this is where we started out, and we've hit this passage several times throughout the class. So now, let's look at... Let's look for scriptures that reveal something about the Holy Spirit living in ordinary Christians like us. And now I would refer you to that handout for the long list, but I've, since we don't have time to go through all those scriptures tonight, I, I wanted to focus on a few scriptures that I thought would be most informative to us with this. And I'm saying newfound knowledge. Some of you guys have known this forever. Some of you are just learning it. Whether wherever you are along that path, that's perfectly okay. The important thing is that we're learning and that we're growing. So, here's the first one that I want us to look at really closely here. One verse from Luke chapter 11. He's talking about praying. He's talking about giving your children gifts and God giving us gifts, things that we pray for. And he says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's camp on that for just a second. What could this mean? What could this mean literally, and what could it mean for our lives? Or would you rather not talk about it? <laughs> I know being taught many years ago by a man that I highly, highly respected. This has been back in the 60s. And his, his whole thought process, and it was well accepted, it is the Word of God. And the Word of God can dwell in our hearts. But God cannot because he, he can't be every place all the time. That was the argument. And Jesus can't either. And just thinking as physically, that's, that, that is impossible. But spiritually it's not. 
And about 30 years ago, I began really thinking about this. I thought, Lord, this, this is strange. These passages don't seem to resemble that at all. And I appreciate what you're doing. Well, then that's why we're, why we're forcing ourselves to take a hard look at these passages, stare into the sun without blinking, and say to ourselves, what is the Spirit saying to us through these scriptures? <clears throat> because if we just turn our eyes away and move on, we'll miss something really important to all of us, I think. That, that explanation that you just described is an explanation that many of us grew up on, uh, one of a couple different explanations. And I, I keep having people come to me after class and say, apparently, Kim, you, just, you grew up in the same kind of church I grew up in. <laughs> but well, I did grow up in this same kind of church that many of you grew up in. And um, that's why I think this, it's necessary to have this discussion. <clears throat> Not that it wouldn't be a good discussion under any circumstances, but especially under our circumstances. Okay, so what do we get from this? Well... If you or evil know how to give good gifts to your children, the Holy Spirit is a gift that our Father, who knows how to give good gifts, gives to his children. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, 3. See it? Um, again, I can't prove that Acts chapter 2, verse 38 is talking literally about the Spirit being given to us, but in light of, of everything else that we've talked about, it's the only thing that really fits the picture that we've that we painted, Gloria. Well, you know, you just read the passage in Romans eight, and how it ends with saying, "Through His Spirit, who dwells in you?" It's not yeah, the Spirit that dwells in you. Unfortunately, if you read that in some of the older versions, like the American Standard or the King James, it'll say "which" rather yes. than "who." Oh, okay. Yes. <clears throat> and that's I think that's in part where we get where we make the mistake of not attributing. Um, personality to the Holy Spirit, but very clearly in the Gospels, he's described as a he, not as a what. Yeah, without question. So there are passages, even in the older versions, where he's mentioned as a he, but then there are some that, where he's mentioned as a what. <laughs> and some of the newer translations, including the ESV and the NIV, have corrected that. When we be limiting God's power, if we said that he couldn't be everywhere at once. Absolutely. Everybody at once. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the picture we have of God from Old and New Testament? He's, he is kind of everywhere at, at once. At like a human looks at it. Yeah. You know, of course it's impossible. But not for, nothing's impossible for God. This may be what the scriptures mean in Second Corinthians, First Corinthians 2, when he says that people who are not spiritually minded will not understand some spiritual truths. <laughs> You know, if, you, if a person is thinking like a human, only like a human, to put God in two places at once, I mean, to us it's impossible, so to put God in our frame, that would be impossible for him too, but God's not in our frame. God's a spirit. And uh, not only is it possible, but I think the, the scriptures teach throughout that God is omnipresent. Very good. Anything else before we move on to the next verse? You know, if you read enough of the Old Testament, you know that God is every, every place, all time. He knows everything that's going on all over the world. And he keeps telling people, remember, I created you. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes we think God doesn't understand us. But if there was any question about that, Jesus solved, it all, solved all that question for us by becoming like us. 
so that he can experience the humanity the way we experience it, and we can no longer say God doesn't understand us, right? Yes, well, also, it shows that we have a work to do. We have to ask. It's not just a one-way street. It's God does his job, but we also have our job, and that's simply humbly bowing and saying, God, please be in me. This is one of two passages that I know of in the New Testament where it specifically tells us what to ask for and that we'll receive it when we ask. The other one's in James where he tells us in chapter 1 where he says if you ask for wisdom, God will give it to you. Here he says if you ask for the Holy Spirit, God being God and wanting you to have the Holy Spirit will give it to you. Give him to you. Sorry. <laughs> See, I, I still make that mistake. Yes. I think just like the passage that you mentioned about wisdom, um, I think there are passages that lead us to think that this isn't a one-time yes we all receive the spirit when we're saved but i think there's also a continual you can ha i think we all know people who seem to have greater measures of the spirit it's like they have decreased and the spirit has increased and so i think this is an ongoing thing not that the spirit has left us if we're just struggling with something but just to ask the father to increase the spirit and to yield ourselves more and more to the spirit i think it can you know it can be more weighted um as we ask more and more um it, in ephesians chapter um which one is it um three i think it is verse 19 18 19 where he's talking about singing and making melody mm -hmm. that starts out don't, don't be filled with wine as an mm -hmm. excess Ephesians 5, 18, 21. thank you but be filled with the spirit okay so he's telling christians to be filled with the spirit those who already have the spirit he's telling them to be filled with the spirit <clears throat> so there there is a way that you can enrich the spirit within you and we talked about that in a previous class if you recall i gave you this handout that talks about the spiritual disciplines and I said this is you know a list of my favorite ones and you can find other lists but things that specific things that you can do to help you return your focus to the spirit at times when you feel spiritually weak and that happens to all of us from time to time so we can be rich in the spirit we can also be poor in the spirit and uh, the uh, the indication here is that we should ask the Father for the Spirit so that He will enrich us. Yes, Jack. I know. I know one of the stumbling stones for me was that word being filled with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Because that's used also of the miraculous gifts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you know, that shouldn't be all that difficult. Um, I agree. You know, this cup is two thirds of the way full. Mm -hmm. This is a, just a, a metaphor. For helping us understand um, you know you understand what you what you don't know through what you know and just like the Spirit of God dwells in you well he dwelt in the temple so you understand what you don't know how the Spirit can dwell in us by understanding what you do know that the Spirit of God dwelt in the temple just like you dwell in your house you live in your house you move around in your house you have activities in your house the Spirit of God dwelt in the temple the Spirit of God dwells in us. So we're kind of like a house in that way. Uh, we're a dwelling place. That's the way we understand the indwelling of the Spirit. Something that we would not otherwise understand through a metaphor that God's giving us for understanding. And I think filling us up is, is another way that we can understand that. 
And uh, the scriptures tell us that Jesus had the spirit without measure. And that um, um, Stephen, for example, was full of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't that nobody else had the Holy Spirit. It's that Stephen was particularly spiritual. <clears throat> okay, so here's another passage I want us to take a hard look at. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the chain of events is, there's going to come a time when Jesus is glorified, which of course is after his resurrection. He said he would send the Holy Spirit, he sent him to the apostles, but he didn't just send the Holy Spirit to the apostles who received a special measure of the Holy Spirit, we might say, to perform these miracles. It says, whom the, those who believed in him were to receive. So it wasn't just the apostles that received the Holy Spirit, it was also the believers. We have a list of 3,000 that were baptized on one day who were believers. Why else would you be baptized? Nobody would be so ridiculous as to be baptized if they didn't believe. It's a lot of trouble. It gets you all wet. It makes a spectacle in front of other people. Who's going to do that if they don't believe? So, these believers, going to be baptized, everyone, that's right on the heels of him having said those words, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, firm connection with, the, with these verses. Okay, so what do you make of this out of... His heart will flow rivers of living water. And how does that relate to the Spirit of God? I'd like to suggest <coughs> instead of measures of the Spirit, like I've been taught, they're purposes of the Spirit dwelling in us. Okay, I think that's true. On the other hand, um, the word measures is actually quite a biblical term, so yes. we, can't, we can't ignore it, but uh, it's, it's clear that the Spirit had different effects in different people. Um, and it's, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that, um, that the Spirit gave gifts as, uh, uh, according to His will, not according to the will of man. So um, the Spirit served different purposes, you might say, as, as he was imparted to different people. David. And I, I think going off that, we, in conversations about the Spirit, I think we make the same mistake that the early Christians did and were corrected for, which is thinking that these miraculous gifts of speaking in tongues and healing people, those are the big things. And... And the, Paul and others come back and say, no, those aren't the most important things. Those are showy things, but it's the love and the faith and the other things that are the more important. And those have remained and will remain. Yeah, and in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul actually compares those things to child's toys. He said, those are the things of a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So he, he said, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, and he's talking about when the partial gifts and partial prophecies were, were gone. 
The things that were, would remain, he said, are hope, faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these, of course, is love. So what he was trying to say is, greater than all these gifts that you guys are so enamored with, that you're fighting over and comparing yourselves with, he said there's something much greater than all that. The greater things are the things that develop out of Christian character, faith, hope, and love, and among those, the greatest of those is love. And how many passages do we read that in in the New Testament, where love is the outpouring of the, the Holy Spirit upon us. It's the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. Okay, but we still miss this, this um, metaphor, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What's the meaning of that? And now he said this about the Spirit. That's what God promised he would send his Spirit to do. I think back in Isaiah, okay. you know, saying that he would send his Spirit and it would act as this torrential water on a desert, dry land, and bring forth life. And just as a believer, okay. somebody so who has the Spirit... So the believer is not the stopping point, then. Right, right. The believer is, is just a conduit. Yeah. The Spirit of God flows to the believer and then flows through the believer. And out of the believer, out of his heart, flows rivers of living water. What does living water do? doesn't make you thirsty anymore. Okay, that's exactly what Jesus told the woman at the well in Samaria, isn't it? He said, I have living water, and if I give you this water, you'll never thirst again. And she said, great, I don't have to come to this well and draw anymore. Give me some. <laughs> well, he gave it to her, but not quite what she asked for. <clears throat> All right? So, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, he said this about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, for Jesus was not yet glorified. So when Jesus was glorified, the Spirit would be given to those who believe, and then into them and out of them would be this uh, Spirit flowing, passing. All right, let's take a look at the third verse. This is in Acts chapter 5. <clears throat> The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. Now you remember what's happening here? This is the apostles when they're called before the council for, to give account for having healed, having the audacity to heal somebody and preach the resurrection in Jesus' name and accuse them of murder by saying that they had killed him. All right, so that's where we're at here. He says, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Now, so if you're talking to these, these guys who are the council leaders who you just accused of killing their Messiah, and then you say to them, repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, what you're saying is, you guys did this horrible thing, but forgiveness is available to you. And not just to you, but to all of Israel for the, for the heinous things that you've done. And so... The apostles then go on to say, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So what do you make of it? There 
seems as the witness that Paul talks about in Romans. Okay. There's a witness for Okay, who are the witnesses though here? These are the apostles, right? Who are witnesses of these things. And then another witness is called upon to testify, and that witness is the Holy Spirit. And so how does the Holy Spirit testify in this case? In this case where they're brought before a trial, before, the, before these leaders, for a, a kind of kangaroo court, we're witnesses and the Holy Spirit is a witness. Well, if, if rivers of living water are coming, I'm trying to wrap all this together, yeah, okay. but uh, it couldn't come to fruition until Jesus fulfilled what he had come to do, and we couldn't have rivers of living water until he fulfilled what he came to do. And so the Holy Spirit is a witness, gives us the rivers of living water, which we share with others and give life. Do you remember what happened one chapter earlier when all of these believers had decided that they needed to do something? What, is it, what was it that they purposed to do? Share with each other. Okay, they looked around and they looked around and found that there were many who had needs. And so, what did they do? They went out and sold their houses and properties. Who does that? Okay, so Jerusalem is in something of an uproar. It hasn't been. I don't know how long it's been since Pentecost, but from between chapter two and chapter four, but you get the sense it hasn't been too long. That. Just in that short amount of time, these people have purposed to turn Jerusalem upside down by just giving everything that they had. These people were transformed by what had happened to them, by what they had experienced. They were transformed by what they had learned about the resurrection of the Christ, the one who is publicly crucified among them. And they had all these witnesses going around testifying that he was raised from the dead. So what did they do? Man, that changed everything. And Jerusalem was so overwhelmed with the good works of these people that the apostles could stand up before these, the council and say, the Holy Spirit is a witness whom God has given to those who obey him. You think that's a powerful testimony of the working of the Holy Spirit in those people? And I suspect that one incident that we know about is not all that was happening in Jerusalem at that time. I suspect this was a rather transformative event on every level. This is just one example of how they were transformed. And people were coming to Christ in droves at this time. I mean, the, this is what would eventually trigger um, this huge um, persecution in Jerusalem, that, the kind that we experience again, where the Apostle Paul is rounding up Christians and having them dragged into the, the council to be put on trial. And what would eventually send Christians flying out of Jerusalem to all the different parts of the Roman Empire and eventually transform it in just a few hundred years. Okay. So the Holy Spirit was a strong witness to them, and they couldn't deny what they had seen with their own eyes, as Paul would later testify. Okay, Romans chapter 5. Now we've been in a lot in Romans chapter 8, but we haven't spent much time here. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, 
knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope is not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What do you make of it? <coughs> yeah, I guess kind of tying these, all this together, I, I don't know that I have an answer to your question, but maybe a question to your question. Of, it sounds like what's being described here is that we're saying that the Christian living, the behavior, the, the character, the attributes are, are what the Spirit provides in us. Am I understanding that? Am I, am I getting that, I guess? Is yeah, I don't, don't know if that's the, the sum of it, but I think that's an, certainly an aspect of it. Now we'll see more. We'll see more of that in some of these other verses that we're reading. Uh, I, I think you can make read several verses and make a strong case. Um, and I haven't done that here, but that the Spirit is actually responsible for guiding our transformation as a Christian. And if if we deny the presence of the Spirit or deny the power of the Spirit, then we've kind of denied the one thing that's going to change us. <laughs> Well, I think the closer we are to God, the more the Spirit works in us. I think that's true. I think passages that we've read support that idea. Well, the fruit of the Spirit seems to be, to me anyway, be hinted of here in this text. We grow, we develop in each of those areas because the Spirit is alive and working in us and that uh, becomes a source of encouragement, a light for those around us who are watching. I, I, I'm not nervous even though I appear to be. <laughs> uh, I have a tremor. And I take some medicine that makes it worse. And I also take some medicine that makes my face flush. <laughs> Honey, I'm burning I... up. I don't take nothing. <laughs> and it's hot in here. Yes. <laughs> so I, I, some people say, are you okay? <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, thank you for your... Why do you still feel all these? Won't you sit still? It's like, hey, I'm burning up. <laughs> I pick up my tea and people are... Worried that I'm even going to make it to my mouth without spilling it all. I think that's why I got a lid on it too. God's love is real. I don't know. He's trying to get across the point that you know the Spirit obviously has many many different roles, mm -hmm. but if we if we've been sealed with the Spirit, that is allowing like the further opening of our hearts for God's love to continue to transform us, what we've been talking about. So it's like all these specific roles that people living with the Spirit are just becoming more and more open and, and it's coming through us. So it's, you know, the coming down and then through. You, you remember when we were in Romans chapter 8, we talked about the Spirit of God testifying with our spirit that we're children of God. 
Um, so if in our spirit is the way we make a connection with God, those God is a spirit, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, spiritually and truly. Um, so we have this connection that takes place between our spirit and God's spirit. And it is in that connection, in that testimony that's in agreement, that it's witness that we are children of God by two, two witnesses. Um, now th think about that. Think about that relationship between our spirit and God's spirit as you read this passage. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance, endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So it's this connection between our spirit and God's spirit that allows, that provides a conduit for God to pour into us, you see. Hope comes to us through that connection, that spiritual connection. that I was taught growing up. The reason for sort of downplaying the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is because of a fear that we would become charismatic. Um, and it, sometimes you lean so far over backward to try to avoid being one thing that you become something else that's not good. And I think what we became was more or less spiritually deprived. Um, we, we 
came not to understand the fullness of the, of the Holy Spirit, or even to know that the Holy Spirit is living in us, even though it's spoken of so clearly uh, in the scriptures. Um, and we were just encouraged not to talk about it. The preacher would talk about that on a special Sunday when he preached against charismaticism. That's why I've been so careful to, to avoid the whole issue of charismaticism in this class, because I want us to, I want us to get the fullness of the, of the benefit of knowing that the Spirit is in us and understanding what that means to us as a Christian without having to worry about the controversy. Well, I, I think it should be, I mean, it is to me, it's exciting to me. I still don't say, I don't understand it. Yeah. I still don't know exactly how it all works, but it's, it is like we've been deprived of something that's pretty cool, pretty awesome. You know, like... <laughs> pretty cool, yeah. yeah it's pretty, pretty cool. cool. <laughs> <laughs> so why do you think they talked back then like that and, and they don't do it as much now? Because, because I know where she was raised, I know where I was raised. Mm -hmm. Well, I think in a lot of churches, it's still kind of that way. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah, I, I think probably we have people in here who come out of churches just like that um, and go back to those from time to time to visit family. <laughs> um, so, um, and I imagine the church that I grew up in is probably still teaching the same way that it was taught back then. And because that's, you know, when, when you've taught something a certain way for a certain amount of time, people begin to think that if you say something different that, that it's a heresy. And uh, th this is all has to do with defining heresy around your own favorite um, practices and ways of thinking. Um, if, if, if I think this way, then anybody who thinks different than that is a heretic and I have to squash that uh, at all costs. Uh, but that's kind of a self-centered way of thinking, isn't it? It's, it's um, it's sort of the thought that, well, that assumes that I know what the right answer is and that everybody, whoever else has anything different to say is just wrong. I mean, how, more, how arrogant can you be uh, uh, beyond that to, to say, well, the way I have always seen this is the truth, and so whatever you have to say, if it doesn't match, match up with what I say is falsehood, and oh, that means you're a false teacher and I have to attack you. <laughs> Um, and that's, that's kind of the, you know, I've tried to keep an open environment here where people that can explore ideas without getting knocked down um, uh, because that's the way people learn the best. It's not in an environment where you feel threatened. So, um, yeah, I'm glad that people are asking all kinds of questions here because it means that you're thinking and working through this yourself. And I couldn't ask any more as, as a teacher than to be done with this class and for you guys to keep thinking about this stuff. Kyle? Yeah, um, I 100% agree with just about everything you said, especially that last part. Um, also as one of the teachers of this class, the amount of thinking that's gone on is very encouraging in the conversations I've had um, with the people in this class on the topics. Um, but yeah, there's this kind of this pendulum swing, not just in this area, but in all aspects of theology where everything is a reaction to something else and I think a lot of this reaction has been about this idea that if you talk about the Holy Spirit too much or some people have this idea that it becomes shorthand for emotionalism is that like you said yes. or charismaticism um, and there is a danger there because you have people who will replace um, you know 
Bible study with emotional experience and trying to recreate an emotional experience rather than, um, you know, <coughs> practical Bible study or, you know, um, practical worship. And like we've, we talked about in this class how there are parts of the Bible where it talks about the word and the spirit and there's an equating there. So you have this idea that you do need to, you cannot have one without the other. And to have more of the word is to have more of the spirit. And um, I think, like you said, this reaction to pull away from that kind of cuts you off from this very real aspect of God's love, like this verse we just talked about. If you're going to deny or say, I don't want to think about the Holy Spirit, you're choosing not to think about one of the ways which God loves you. And that's a really sad thing to do. Or even and like God, God himself. Said, it's, what's that? Or even about God himself. Exactly. You're depriving yourself of... Um, knowing things about your creator in this relationship. And I think that's just as dangerous um, as this uh, trying to separate yourself from emotionalism. And so what's really cool about this class is some of the ideas we talked about is, okay, how do we find that you know middle area where we don't go too far in either direction and end up not going with the intention of scripture? And I think uh, we've done a pretty good job of that so far. Well, I don't think we're, we stand in any real danger of becoming too emotionalistic in this group. And that's not an insult to you all, but that, that speaks uh, about our upbringing, not only our upbringing, but also our, the religious traditions that we come out of. Uh, you know, the, the, the Church of Christ was formed out of a theology that came from, from Western Europe, uh, the Campbells. Thomas and Alexander Campbell yeah. came out of the Presbyterian Church. Mm -hmm. And you might be surprised to find out just how much we believe is, is uh, right in line with what the, the Presbyterians teach. So, you know, I like to, to keep the Bible new um, and not just rely on my, my background and uh, either my near-term background or my distant background <coughs> in uh, coming to the answers to, to biblical questions. Yes. Um, going off of what Kyle was saying, and I mean, we've kind of touched on it already, but um, like it talks about in 1 Corinthians 2, the, the reason why the Spirit and the Word are so inextricably linked is because you can have the Word, anybody can have the Word, but not everybody can have the understanding of the Word. And not to get too anecdotal, but maybe some of you have also experienced, like when you take the spirit more seriously and you really understand that he is dwelling within you there are times when i will read something and i'm like i have read that for i'm 31 I'm, i can be like i've read that for 20 years but i've never read that before and it's and i don't know how to explain that other than it was revealed to me and it wasn't before you know and so that's pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you. A lot of pretty cool stuff. Thank you for that. Okay, so there are two passages that talk directly in 1 Corinthians, both of them about the Spirit dwelling in us. One is in us collectively as a church in chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know what he's talking about? The collectivity here. He says, you are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Collectively, do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? So he uses the word temple there. And then in chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he's talking to individuals and he's talking about us and our bodies. And he says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Okay, so just as the, the temple was a place for God to dwell among the Israelites and the tabernacle before the temple, you remember consecrating the tabernacle and the Spirit of God descending and occupying the space between the cherubim above the mercy seat. 
and they could sense the presence of God filling that room, that's you, okay? When Solomon de uh, consecrated the temple and it, the music played and, and uh, um, Solomon made all these sacrifices and then what happened? The presence of God filled the temple. That's you at your baptism. The Holy Spirit filled the temple. And when we all come together, individual temples of the Holy Spirit, and we gather together collectively, and each one of us has the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, think how richly the Holy Spirit dwells in this place. That's a metaphor to help us to understand the richness of the presence of God with us. It started way back then. They didn't understand it. We have the greatest capacity to understand this of any generation in the existence of mankind, to understand the richness of God's dwelling in proximity to us personally. It's not anymore, now you can only draw near to God through the high priest. Now it's that God comes and lives in you. That's the proximity that we have with God that they never had before. That's the blessing of being a child of God. Well, there's so much more that we could say about this, and I had a lot more verses that we could have gone through, but I tell you what, you all are great, and thank you so much for your, for your, uh, and continue to have this conversation among yourselves. What do you think about this? Is it all hogwash? Are you, you are you buying in? Um, <laughs> it, 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 is this, has this enriched you in some way? That's great. Keep the conversation going.